So, so Renny, you know, I, I really enjoyed our first conversation, and and I and I think what what you brought was authenticity, and and you spoke your mind. And today we're going to unpack what makes leadership effective. One quote that we bonded over was, you know, you manage things, you lead people. Rear Admiral Grace Murray Hopper. Uh, Renny, to open up our conversation, you know, on the podcast of the Future People Initiatives, we always talk about business goals or goals in general. How do you think about people initiative in context of goals? So let's start there. What are the goals that we should park for this discussion? Oh, yeah, I think it really boils down to mainly leadership behaviors. And how do leaders who are really overseeing the lives and the work of people show up in a way that brings out the best in them, uh, actually realizes unrealized potential and contributes to overall engagement and pro- productivity. With you. And, and you and I talked about, okay, so as we think about leadership behaviors, how does that relate to the performance, right? Ultimately, there's a lot, the, the, the focus of the organization is the performance, whether it's a product or a service. Um, so walk me through the, the connection between those two. Well, this is always the interesting debate. So I've been following a lot of the literature over the last, you know, couple decades. And whether it's self-selection or it's really all the stuff that's emerging, but there is a real trend even more, more nowadays around how do leaders show up around really connecting with people. So there's a lot of research now around compassionate leadership and inspirational leadership. I mean, it's been around for a while, um, but, you know, classic you know, back in the day was much more of a command and control style. And there were much deeper boundaries around what the relationship of a boss and an employee are. And even some of the language around, you know, switching from manager, uh, switching from boss to manager is even just a little bit softer. And, you know, direct report maybe versus like my employee, you know, these kind of these kind of uh, language subtleties begin to also redefine what the potential relationship is. So um, to your question, I mean, it's something I I pause and really think about. So in our first conversation, we spoke about some incredibly successful companies that actually have, you know, that are known to have quite demanding and perhaps even abusive leaders. (laughs) Yet they produce um, high quality products and presumably uh, have high revenue, you know, uh, shareholder returns and these kind of things. So it's where, it's where it gives some of my perspective, personal perspective and research perspective, a little bit of pause, which is around um, my point of view on leadership and the, what I promote and what I, what I really believe in is that leaders really need to, to have faith in their people. They need to care about their people. They need to be curious about what they're interested in, what they're good at, what they're bad at, help point that out, help increase self-awareness, help connect them to opportunities, whether that's people or roles or tasks that maybe they don't realize they're good at, or just give them a chance to do those kind of things while providing rich feedback and encouragement and not dehumanizing or belittling failure, but rather using it all as an opportunity to learn. 
Um, so, you know, somewhere in the middle of, of these kind of extremes probably is the secret, secret sauce. Um, let me stop because I have a lot more to say, but I'll wait for a question or a response. Yeah, no, r right on. And I think what you're doing is exactly kind of what our conversation was. It, you're being authentic to say there is a tension. There is the command and control that has been around for, you know, since the beginning of work. And, and there are companies where it's worked. There are companies where it's worked. However, is this the way toward the future? Is this the way to work with the new generations coming in? Is this the way to unlock our potential to help people thrive in a workplace? And that, you know, I think it's also important to, to, to mention that you, you work at an organization where, you know, it is a zero tolerance for error, right? Your performance, th this isn't an organization where you could say, you know, let's, let's do our best on the performance side. There are lives at stake. I, I you know, what I, what I wanted to, where I wanted to go was to talk about the people initiatives, you know, as, as you think about it in the future for your organization, we want to go beyond the letters on the walls. We want to go beyond just the moments, you know, the boom and bust, and, and then we get back to work. So, Renny, how do you think about the future of people initiatives? How, how do you think about the initiatives that could be uh, effective to create the change that we're discussing? I mean, I think more and more leaders are being expected to show up and lean into some potential discomfort, but really have responsibility for attending to the human being in front of them. And if that means having a potentially uncomfortable conversation about what might be going on in their lives. Now, of course, there's boundaries and we don't want people to, to share things that they're otherwise not comfortable with. But as humans, leaders need to take an interest in what's going on with the person and what's impacting how they're showing up, you know, whether at work or maybe perhaps some things outside of work. But the point is leaders need to have a perspective of leading with the head, heart and hands. And how can they engage their team using all three of those aspects of the body and most leaders will subscribe to one way, maybe two ways, but very few actually hit on all three. So I think, you know, where where the paradigm is shifting a little bit is this idea of uh, leaders needing to build stronger relationships with their team. And by the way, across the organization so that trust can be built. Honesty then is improved. And when you're asked questions about failure or what are you working on or what do you want to work on or how long do you want to stay here those can be honest conversations you know if people are living or operating in a little bit more of a fear state which is you know some of the, the classic command and control styles might engender they are less likely to be honest and open about what they need and want and how they can contribute and where they see things uh, that could possibly improve or, you know, any of these kind of things. So it's really around, you know, the classic idea of psychological safety and trust. And I think these are the newer skills that leaders are really going to be expected to leverage uh, to really support their people. Couldn't agree more. And, and as we think about leaders gaining these skills to build relationships, to creating the psychological safety, let's check in on the current mindset. You and I talked briefly on, on the natural state, on the, on the selection bias. Renny, how do you see the, the current mindset and, and what's important for us to keep in mind as we are evaluating this, this relationship between leaders and, 
and the direct report? Um, well, just rephrase the question because I'm not sure where the selection bias. Yeah, so just this idea that you know we're wired to scan for threats. We're 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 coming into the workplace, bringing this evolutionary mechanism, and with everything going on around us, there's more and more anxiety, stresses. And, and it is important for leaders to both recognize what they're personally experiencing, as well as to be mindful that this is the audience, this is the mindset they're speaking to. So my question to you is, you know, how, how do we contextualize it? How, how do leaders um, work through that? Well, I think it starts with leaders doing the internal work first. And this is something I think far too few people, never mind leaders, actually invest enough time and energy in. And uh, some of it can even be as simple, and by the way, I don't think the answer is always so simple, but um, how did I get into a leadership role? And was it by design or by default? And most people, I think, default into the role. They've been in their job for X amount of time, then all of a sudden they get direct reports and, you know, surely and slowly they move up, their, their uh, breadth of direct reports expands and so on and so forth. Um, other people have a little bit more intentionality behind it and actually really want to do that. And it's really equated with, you know, moving up the ladder for the sake of career progression. But what we all know is that managing people is an entirely different skill set uh, than any sort of managing projects or technical work. So I think just pausing to think about how do I get in a leadership position to begin with? And then what is my point of view on leadership? What do I, you know, whomever the I is in that example, what do I think effective leaders do? What's been my personal experience? Who, have, who are the leaders in my life that have had the biggest impact on me, both positive and perhaps less positive? And which of those kinds of ways of being do I want to replicate and or not do at all? And I think just starting from there is important. And then I think you expand it to understanding of and just slowing down the thing. Well, what is my point of view of motivation? How do I think people are motivated? And is it the fear base? Is it the command and control base? Is it the you know growth and development? You know, you know, feedback rich, connecting, you know, projects to purpose. You know, I just you got to have a point of view about motivation. You also have to have a point of view about engagement. You know, as a leader, how do you think you engage people? And then you got to to run a little experiment. You know, if this this presumes you're not doing all the research and you're reading and you're listening to podcasts like these and others. You know, like so try something out. And see what results you get. You know, talk to your peers, talk to other people. Um, and this is where I think leaders can really begin to do some of the work, uh, the internal work around showing up as the leader that they want to be. The other question I like to provoke leaders to think about is what do you want your reputation to be? Because people are talking about you behind your back already. So how are you aligning your words and behaviors to make sure that you're showing up and being talked about the way you want to be spoken about. That's fascinating. I, I think that you know most people are afraid to raise that question, and even the, the mention of you know discussions behind your back and how people think about you. I think that's uh, hits into people's fears. So so yeah, pl pl double click on that. Well, again, you know, kind of 
the self-awareness piece with, with, you know, that's the thread that pulls through all of this, which is how are you showing up? What's your impact on people? What's the shadow you're casting? How long is that shadow? And, you know, having awareness of what that's really like and a lot of research points to the disconnect and sometimes a quite a big gap around our self-awareness and others' awareness of us, meaning most of us don't have high self-awareness, even though we think we do. So what I see and been guilty of, if we want to use that word, I mean, yes, I've talked about my leaders. I've complained about them behind their back. I've had issue with certain thing or questioned this, that, or the other thing. Um, and some really, really good and some not so good. So we all do it. We all talk about leaders, whether they're our direct manager or others, we talk about them. So the question that I posed a moment ago was, how do you want people to talk about you? What do you want to be known for? And do you want to be known for, you know, well, whatever it is, you know, you, you could fill in the gaps with lots of different options. But, but if you have clarity around that, then you need to take a step back and to think about, okay, is the way I'm showing up, is the way I'm behaving, is the way that I'm speaking to people, is the way that I'm listening, is it the way I'm, you know, provoking thought or ideas or whatever, are those aligning to the way I want to be viewed as a leader? And that's hard. You know, you really got to have what's called social awareness. You got to have your antennas out for noticing your impact on people and really picking up the explicit and often at times inexplicit things, you know, body language, what's spoken, what's not spoken, who speaks, who doesn't speak, who answers questions thoroughly or not, um, how much space is given uh, when you're answering a question, how much time do you let people think before jumping in and and blocking? I mean, all these kind of things have implications. Anyway, another long-winded answer. Sorry, Adam, but it's just really inviting leaders to slow down a little bit and think about how they want to be known for, what, how do they want to show up, and you know what we didn't talk about yet is then how are they getting feedback along the way? And the more specific you can ask for feedback, the better your feedback will be. So often at times leaders say, hey, do you have any feedback for me? Or, uh, you, know, um, you know, anything you want to share with me or anything I can do to be more effective? You know, not bad. I'd rather leaders do that than nothing. But what's much more effective and impactful is if you ask for specific feedback. Hey, Adam, you know, I've been working on delegating a little bit more clearly. Can you give me a little bit of feedback with how clear my delegation has been to you? You know, what's been working and anything you think would be better? Oh, yeah, Renny, no, I appreciate this. You know, what would be helpful is if you gave more explicit timelines because I'm not always sure when something is due. Oh, great, thank you. You know, so, so... the more specific you can be in asking for feedback, the easier it will likely be for people to offer you that small chunk of feedback rather than, hey, do you have any feedback for me? Because then where do you even start? And it takes real courage to ask for, for real meaningful feedback. I wonder if many people, when they ask for feedback, they hope the answer is, no, everything's fine. You, you really need to have this growth mindset where feedback truly is a gift and it's helping you evolve no matter, you know, how challenging. Actually, there maybe is a correlation. The more challenging to hear, the bigger the opportunity for growth. And that is where the humility comes in. You know, this idea of uh, parking one's ego 
and telling somebody, hey, Adam, it's actually kind of hard for me to even ask for feedback. And I suspect it might be hard for you to even give me feedback. But I really want to learn and grow. And I really want to be even better than I currently am. And, you know, I'm not entirely sure what I'm going to do with the feedback yet. Uh, but at least I want to know right now. So, you know, if people, you know, leaders can lean into a little bit of vulnerability, a little bit of authenticity, and a little bit of discomfort, you are likely to build a lot more rapport and get a lot more honesty back. But it does take courage from everybody, from the ask, uh, from the asker, the the giver. I mean, yeah. The one other thing I'll say about feedback that I really see people stepping in it is they immediately become defensive or they immediately start justifying a behavior rather than just listening. Just listening. Now, you don't have to agree with it, but we have to honor that everyone has a perspective that might not always be aligned to our perspective of it. So the best thing somebody can do after they've received feedback is say thank you. Makes sense. And, and Rennie, you and I talked briefly about the soft skills versus power skills. Thing. This is this is the first time uh, me, I encountered the distinction. Could you walk our listeners through them? So, uh, for years and years and years, myself and you know the literature and lots of other things has referred to basically people skills as soft skills. You know, listening, delegating, giving feedback, uh, the, you know, coaching. You know, th- these kind of things generally are bucketed as soft skills. And, you know, somewhere along the way, either I read or made up or whatever, it's, it's, it's the soft skills are hard and the hard skills are easy. Meaning, if uh, I don't know how to do a certain formula in Excel, you could show me how to do an Excel formula and it's a couple of things and all of a sudden now I know how to do Excel or, you know, whatever the technical thing is. It tends to be a little bit easier to learn and get feedback on, by the way. But the... The classically known soft skills are really hard, and most people don't do them well. So the literature that I've been reading in the last year or two has redefined those as power skills because they really are the type of skills that make or break relationships, that make or break clarity and effectiveness and outcomes, and it's those kind of things. How easily and clearly can you give feedback, listen, delegate, coach others, uh, you know, and so on and so forth, lead change, communicate change. Uh, These are really power skills. Um, And I feel like soft skills uh, are just that. They're viewed as soft, oh, squishy, nice to have. Or, you know, those aren't really the the value drivers, the, the, the money drivers, if you will. So a lot of times they're um, dismissed quite easily. So I've repurposed the word and, and used power skills now as kind of the the um, the phrase to try to capture all these very human skills. Yeah, well, you've coined it. Let us see if we can uh, amplify it because that that, that that's a yeah. Well, I didn't I didn't coin it by the way. I just want to be clear with that. I've I've read it, but I've been using it. Yeah, got it, got it. Uh, so, Renny, as we think about these power skills and we're thinking about leadership effectiveness, let's kind of circle back to the future of people initiatives. You know, how do you think about taking these power skills and scaling them? within the organization. We also hear a lot that, you know, leaders are overwhelmed. They have a lot going on. 
Um, they've got the challenges from above. They've got the direct reports. They've got their own, you know, uh, work that needs to get done. So as you think about the future, right, how do we help them activate and sustain power skills? Well, it's something um, um trying to figure out and I don't have you know a golden answer to it by any means and one approach which is unconventional in the corporate environment even nonprofit meaning just you know fast-paced kind of business oriented fields I just think in general we need to slow down we just need to slow down a little bit because the amount of times that I see meetings end while people are finishing their last few thoughts, but you know, it's like the classic in high school, the bell rings, people are out the door no matter what. It's we're overscheduled and meetings are ineffective when they don't have good closure. People are left confused. You know, maybe people hear half the thing and not the other. So, you know, just slowing down to really invest the amount of time needed to make sure we're all aligned. And and those two main power skills are asking good questions and not all questions are created equal and we can go down a whole rabbit hole with that but asking good questions and listening and those two in of themselves i think will have a tremendous ripple effect if more people not just leaders but in particular leaders can do those more often Let's let's maybe just go there for a bit about the good questions. I, I, you're so right. It's not just asking the questions. What can you give at the highest level? What are some of the good questions? I think you mentioned it earlier in our discussion today, but I think it's super valuable. Yeah, I think it's Gautier. I forget. I know I used the quote in somewhere, but it's it's don't judge a person by their answers. Judge them by their questions, and and that's kind of the idea here. So. What I like to do uh, when I'm you know, coaching or working with leaders is really dissuade people from asking a why question. So it's a very general approach, but there's nothing wrong with the word why, and sometimes it's appropriate. But the context, why can more frequently put people on a defensive you know, why did you do that? You know, maybe it's innocent enough, and of course it's how you say it. But, but you know, use, you know, what or how questions more frequently than why questions. Um, obviously, close-ended questions don't yield as rich an answer as open-ended questions. And certainly questions that are asked, maybe it's close-ended, maybe it's not, but questions that are asked where you're really fishing for an answer are obviously less effective. Um, I like to use phrases even, you know, help me understand. It's a little bit more of a gentle way to get the lay of the land or get some context instead of why did you do that? You know, help me understand why you set that meeting up that way or, you know, something like that. Um, So I find that to be a, a pretty powerful catchphrase. And the goal, hopefully the goal is with with questions is to open up dialogue. And that's the goal of a conversation, a two-way dialogue. Let me really hear what you have to say about something. So, I mean, we can, I can try to think of some very specific questions, maybe if we had a specific context in mind, you know, just to pull them out is a little bit challenging. But, but again, the, the concept of slowing down a little bit 
just slow down and hear your question come out of your mouth. And think about, wait, how would I feel or respond to that question if it was asked of me, given the dynamics of our relationship? So, you know, if you can meta-process that, and it doesn't take that long, but this is where, you know, meditation and other practices actually help build those super highways in our brain, you know, to slow down a little bit and catch ourselves, you know, saying something. Um, So, well, let me just stop there, rambling a little bit. No, no, to make Rani, that makes sense, and and it all, there's also an undercurrent of of empathy, even the question of help me understand, right? As opposed to why did you do this? That's uh, you're on one side, I'm on the other. There's judgment to help me understand, which is hey, from an you know, I want to be empathetic. I want to see it the way you do. How do you see it? Walk me through that. That's right. You know, and you 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 used a very powerful word in that last sentence, which is judgment, and. That's the other thing I think leaders really need to be aware about, that no matter the relationship you have with people, and it's a constant work for leaders to establish trust in a good relationship, based on your title alone, people are going to feel judged by you. People are going to feel judged. Now, some leaders really judge, and a lot of us, just by human nature, we're judgmental. And, you know, that helps us for survival and other things. But again, in the workplace, when you're trying to create a culture or a climate where people feel safe and comfortable and feel uh, at ease, judgment is a very difficult um, is it emotion or it's a uh, what is judgment? I guess, you know, it's a, it's a very difficult um, thing to navigate because no one wants to be judged. <laughs> And as soon as you feel like you might be judged by something you say or do, uh, you're likely going to resort to not doing it or not saying it, which really then starts to erode any sort of innovative idea or challenging something or anything like that. So, you know, they're all all connected here. Excellent. Um, Rennie, the folks that are, that are listening to the podcast are internal agents of change. They're, they're looking to learn and continue to be on the journey to support the elevation of their organizational capabilities. And, you know, this topic of creating more effective leadership, what pieces of advice can you give them to continue on their journey? I would imagine it starts from executive alignment to what leadership means but Rennie, what, what advice would you give them to, to continue on their journey? Well, you mentioned change. So change is such a big piece of anything any of us do. And um, so change is quite easy. Change management or leading change is extremely difficult. So uh, I like to give an example sometimes of uh, many, many jobs ago, many years ago, um, there was a big change that happened. And essentially, everybody went, this is pre-laptop days and all that, but everyone went home for the weekend, and we showed up on Monday, and we had the newest Windows update on our computer, whatever that was at the time. And this was one of those updates that drastically changed the configuration. You couldn't figure out where to save or where to print, and it just threw everything into an absolute tizzy. But change was easy. The IT folks, they just did whatever they did, pushed out the software to all the computers, and they were done. The change was done. But the management of that change, which I equate to the human side of change, when I think about change management, it's really 
the people that are involved in the change, that's what needs the most attending to. And that's what we often overlook of how people are going to think, feel, and do as a result of the change. So um, a, a couple of things to your point of, of, of how can you know, internal leaders think about this. I, I really reference Rick Maurer's work on change resistance a lot, and he describes three levels of resistance. And this is something that internal change agents and leaders really need to think about because they are going to encounter resistance. Most humans resist change, even good change. So level one resistance is I don't get it. Well, why are we doing this? Everything is fine. I don't get why we need to change. So that is something you need to think about and come up with some clear speaking points as to the value of this change. Level two resistance, and that, that generally is addressed by feed them. Give them information, you know, let them know, you know, we're gonna fail behind our competitors or technology is changing or space or this, that, or the other. Like, you gotta feed them information, I don't get it. Level two resistance is, I don't like it. Okay, I get it, I just don't like it. And that begins to get a little bit more complex. And that then you need to really think about what do people stand to gain or lose of the change? and not hide behind any detrimental things that might come about the change. So, um, for example, it could be, quote-unquote, as benign as moving offices. So maybe you're, you're moving office buildings. And what we forget as somebody that's maybe driving the change is, you know, I have a relationship with, with the coffee guy downstairs. He knows me. I get my coffee every day. I have relationships with other people in the building. By the way, this is adding 20 minutes to my commute. You know, all these kind of things that people just don't like because it's disrupting their normal way of doing things. So as a leader, again, you need to listen. You need to understand what those things are. Try to make reasonable accommodations and try to bring people along. Level three resistance is I don't like you. And often at times it's what you represent. So this generally happens, again, it depends on the change, but just to try to use a concrete example is, uh, let's see, like if somebody all of a sudden has a new boss and that boss comes in totally benign, you know, trying to establish this, that, and the other and reset and not do anything drastic by any means, but maybe that person also applied for the job. Or maybe you come from a place that this person has an issue with or something like that. And that is, uh, is a lot harder to navigate. Or maybe the previous boss, in this case, promised this person or this group X, and now the new boss is saying, oh, actually, I don't know why that was promised because that's totally not possible. So these kind of things can uh, create level three resistance, which is really the hardest for a leader uh, to overcome. And that really needs to just start with resetting the relationship, building trust, committing to your promises, and in some cases, having the hard conversation that where the organization is going, it might be a misfit for what you otherwise want and basically offboarding people. So anyway, those are thinking about the expected resistance you might expect and getting out way ahead of it so you can address some of it either ahead of time or in real time. Yeah, there's a traction operating system, and in, in it they talk about that 
we, we got to say something seven times for folks to hear the first time. And you're saying over-communicate by 10. And, uh, you know, I've always appreciated the value of over-communication just, just because I think it, it speaks to consistency and that's how you build trust. Rennie, this, this was a, a great conversation. Appreciate you jumping on and sharing your thoughts. Just, um, you know, thanks on behalf of the community for participating. You're welcome. If I can just offer maybe like a, a closing thought, which is all this work of leadership is extremely hard. And we just need to acknowledge how hard it is. And my invitation in general for people, and especially leaders, is you got to be patient with yourself. You got to have a fair amount of self compassion. Know you're going to stub your toe. Know you're not going to get it right. But the ask is to just to try to learn from each experience and try to apply those learnings to be a little bit better next time. But definitely you need to be patient with yourself if you're trying to change the way you would normally otherwise operate. So that's what I'll leave you with. <laughs> Let's do the work. Let's do the work, Rennie. Thank you. Thank you. And over and out until next time. All right. Sounds good. Bye.